Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. The world needs the king. (laughs) Amen. So I'm going to start from a passage of scripture that all of us know. And I want to take some time over the next few weeks to dissect it. So when I mention it today, please do not act like you know this verse already. (laughs) Okay? At minimum, at least just um, offer God a a little bit and say, maybe there's something else to learn. Right? Um, Because sometimes we can hear a verse so much so that we think we got it. And I'm going to do the King James Version because it's the one that's known the most, right? Not that we don't know other ones, but typically if I was to call it out, you, most people would quote a King James Version of this verse. And I think we really need to take some time because if we do not know this verse correctly, then we will not present the good news correctly. Amen? And we need to understand why the world needs the king. So turn over with me to John 3.16. John 3.16. King James Version says it this way. For God so loved the that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, this is the scripture that's everywhere. I'm sure if they had have panned in the stadium during March Madness, somebody's holding this sign. In fact, this scripture has become so popular in mainstream society in the United States that even movies will have somebody holding up a three, John 3.16 poster because it's everywhere. And you know, when I think about that, I think about how many people that when they stand before the Lord one day and say, I didn't know. Much like some of the women that said they didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. No, I'll never forget uh, the year that... Um, and I don't remember which year it was, so I will forget. I, I'm gonna, I, I, it could have been the 2008 one, and it probably was the 2008 one. Um, when Tim Tebow, uh, that year they won the national championship, you know, it, he had, he always put some kind of scripture. You know, after that year, they banned that. Um, but he would always put some kind of scripture under his eyes because, you know, everybody got to focus on his face. And then during the national championship game, he put John 3.16. Google said it was the most Googled thing after that championship game. Which means people were wanting to know, what is John 3.16? Which tells us there's a good number of people who did not know that reference in our nation. But you understand, these types of things like uh, uh, college national championship, like the basketball national championship that's fixing to be played. I mean, it's not just limited to the United States. The world itself gets involved in things that, you know, uh, happen here in the United States. But this is the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever uh, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we quote this one, but you understand this verse alone 
is not the only verse, and it's actually set in a context. Which means then, we should actually read a little bit more than just the one verse if we're going to fully understand what God meant by John 3.16. Okay? So I'm going to add a verse, and then we'll read some more verses in a little bit. We'll kind of just grow some. But let's go and look at it. Now, I'm just going to get in the New American Standard, and we're going to do a couple other translations. But let's look at John 3, 16, and then we'll jump down to 17. The New American Standard says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So he says eternal life here, everlasting life, same thing. Verse 17, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Well, that sounds positive. That's really exciting news, right? And I agree with that. That is exciting news. Let's read this out of the Amplified Classic. It says it this way. For God so loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound. How? Through him. So here's some points that I want us to draw some conclusions because typically when we read this verse, we don't stop long enough to say, what is this verse saying? What's being said in these couple of verses? All right? Well, when you read John, put the New American Standard back up, guys, if you don't mind, because it's smaller and we can see this. When you read this, we understand then that for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. One of the first things that we learn in these passages of Scripture is that the world is justly condemned. So the world's already justly condemned. If it weren't, then Jesus wouldn't have to save. So there's already a state that the world's in. Which brings us to the next point, the world needs to be saved. Because it's already justly condemned, the world needs to be saved. So as positive as this verse is, we do have to recognize that there's a condition already in the world that requires an action. Let me say it again, requires an action. Requires one. The third thing we learn here is what can be done to save the world. Because he sends his son to save the world, right? But what does that mean that he sent his son? Now, most of us, I think we have, you know, we feel like we have the answer to that. You know, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is a truth. No problem with that. But what was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? We'll talk about that next week when we talk about the quest of the king. The world needs the king. Next week, we'll talk about the quest of the king. All right? And there's a quest that he had. And then the last thing we learn is that salvation for the world is made available because of God's love. Okay? Because of God's love. Now, with that being said, uh, I want to jump a little bit um, to a thought process. The first thing I want to do is I want to break down a few words. The first thing is we want to talk about this word saved. Again, here it said in, in John uh, 317 that the world might be saved through him this word saved means to deliver from the penalties of a messianic judgment in context and I'm going to show you this because 
When you go into the Strong's or the Thayer's and you start to get definitions, there are more than one type of definitions that are out there, obviously, because based upon the context of Scripture will determine its definition. Again, it's like the word meat. What does the word meat mean? Well, you don't know by me saying it. Now, you can know by me um, spelling it. Although there are other words that are spelled the same, but again, in context to a sentence, you'll have to determine what that word is. And so the same things here is that when we look at these passive scripture, sometimes we think of you come to save us and we immediately go with this one thought process that he came to save us from our sin. And that's true to a degree, but he came to save the world because it was already condemned. In essence, he's providing an opportunity to the world so that they will not receive the penalty of a judgment that is pending. So when Jesus came, he came so an opportunity could come so that those that are justly condemned can get a pardon. There's a reprieve because if if something doesn't take place, judgment's there in the worst sense. And he's given an opportunity so that it can be relieved from those who choose to accept it. Okay? So that's the word saved there. The next word we want to look at is the word condemn or judge. Because this word means to be judged. It means um, summoned to trial that one's case may be examined and judged, a judgment passed upon it. So again, John 3, right, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then it goes on and says, for God did not send uh, the son into the world in essence to bring a trial. Jesus is the king. He could have come to the planet and says, I have come to set up a, a trial on humanity. He could have done that. So in essence, what it's saying, I didn't come this time to set up a trial so that I could pass judgment by examining everyone's life. In essence, it means this, to preside over with the power of giving judicial decisions because it was the prerogative of kings and rulers to pass judgment. So in essence, when God sent his son Jesus to the world, the first time, he sent him not to judge or to set up a judicial ruling on humanity, but to be able to establish a pardon track. Now we are talking about a kingdom here. And so, again, these uh, definitions are really important because these definitions continue to identify that the Bible is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring, and, and has nothing to do with a religious thought. It's not religion, okay, in the context that, you know, our God's better than your God, right? Because, you know, technically, if you make up one, our God is better because we actually have the only God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, he's the only true and living God. So this word condemn or judge, it means that he came to judge. Now, uh, with that being said, we have to keep context, though, because look what it says in the same book that the Apostle John wrote over in the ninth chapter. Okay? And let's look at verse 39. 
This is why it's important for us to read the whole Bible and not for us to get caught up in one verse and then try to explain everything that God's doing through one verse, but let's learn to explain what God's doing through the context of the Bible. Because let's read this. And Jesus says, so who's talking? Who's talking? If you have the red letter Bible, then that means everything in the quotes are in red. Well, what did Jesus say? And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. So that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Well, that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? The father said, you know, or John mentions that Jesus came of the father not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Yet Jesus' own mouth says, for judgment I came into this world. Now, the context here is that Jesus is not setting up the court where he's bringing all humanity before the court and he's going to judge them according to their deeds. What he is doing, he said, I've come to be the example. I've come to pay a price for pardon. And because of this event, the whole world are now going to be judged on this thing. So in essence, I have established a legal way for humanity to get out of the, sit, the sentence that the world's in. So I came for, for judgment. I came into this world because the world is already judged. I came. How do we know this? Let's go back to John chapter 3. And let's go on to verse 18. So because the world's already in a state of judgment, he came. Not to judge the world at this time, but because judgment's already here. Well, look what he goes on and says. See, if we don't keep reading, then we lose context. Go ahead and go back to the uh, New American Standard 1617. Then we'll jump back to this guy so we can read it in its entirety. For God so loved the world now. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And the religious church would stop right there and say, you know, there's no judgment on your part. But you got to read verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. So who's not judged? The one who believes in him. Let's go on. He who does not believe has been judged already. Which means you're already judged. So the king doesn't have to come and set up a court because you're already in a condemned state now. And what he's doing is he's trying to give you an opportunity where you can receive mercy. Because at the end of the day, when you look at me and say, don't judge me, I don't have to. You're already judged. I don't have to judge you. You're already judged. You're already judged. Now, I can inspect your fruit. That's a totally different process. Because you need to bear fruit of the Spirit if you're a believer. And I can talk to you about your fruit all day long. Because if you're not bearing the fruits of the Spirit, we can have a conversation. And if you get offended at that, then that's your own problem. Because at the end of the day, if you're born of God, then this fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, um, self-control, you know, those things, if, if they're not a part of your life and they're not coming out, then we can talk about it. But at the end of the day, as far as whether you're right with God or not, 
That's already there. I said, that's already there. So again, Jesus is not here to determine who's his or not. He's here to give opportunity so that you can choose to be his. Because if you continue in the course you are, you're not his and judgment's already there. Let's go on verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And that men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So again, what is the judgment? For Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. In essence, I came to shine the light of who the Father is and his heart intent for everything he's written up to this point. And then to demonstrate who he is, because as he said, if you've seen me do these things, you know the kingdom of God is here. Right? Right? So what he does is he begins to show the culture of the kingdom, its lifestyle, and the way it operates, yet there are those that love the operation of the darkness they're in. And I'm going to explain this a little bit more here in a minute because we have the word world misinterpreted, at least the majority of the church, okay? And I know a lot of people here has been taught right because we've, you know, dealt with it in different things, but it'd be good for us to bring to our remembrance. Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that their, his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Amen? So John chapter 1, verse 29, because we understand the world's already in a condemned state, which required the Father to do something about it. He wants to save it. He wants to offer an opportunity for people to come out of the world. Now look what it says here in John 1, 29. The next day, this is John the Baptist saying, saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the what? Notice that singular. Yet, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, so we understand there's more than one sin. Yet, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world, which is singular, which says what is the world doing? What is the one thing the world's doing that he's come to take away? And that's really important process, okay? So... We need then to define this word world. This word world here in 1 John 29 is the same word world uh, that's found in John chapter 3, verse 17. But there are three Greek words for the word world. And they have different meanings. The first Greek word, and I'll just spell it to you, is A-I-O-N. It means a period of time or an age. A period of time or an age. That's his definition. So again, we're talking about a period of time, an age. You understand, we've been in different ages now. We had this uh, state, uh, this age where everything was perfect in God's heaven and earth. There was no sin at all. That's even before the fall of Satan. There was this perfect existence. Then obviously, Satan fell, you know, goes into another age. Obviously, then Adam falls, goes into another age. Then we have this age time frame where man just kind of did what they wanted to do. But how did that end up? It ended up in a noatic flood. All right. And the Bible even tells us in Romans chapter 5 that sin existed from Adam all the way to Moses, although the law had not yet been applied. In, in essence, uh, a standard wasn't shown 
through the writings that this is the culture, this is the operation that should be going on. Which is really important because we're going to define world correctly. Okay, all of those are world in ages. We're in a new age. It's called the age of grace or the church age. Then we'll have the catching away of the church, right? We'll call that the tribulation. Some attribute it to the same grace age. I probably would as well. And then we get into the millennial reign of Christ, which is another age. Before we get into the perfect state, after the millennial reign, where the devil's thrown into the lake of fire and all those who've not honored him, and then we get a new heaven and a new earth, and we're into the eternal state, the very last state, uh, the last age that will perpetuate for all eternity, okay? The next Greek word is spelled this way, O-I-K-O-U-M-E-N-E. This means the inhabited earth, the inhabited earth. So there are some scriptures that talk about going into the world to preach, Okay, one, one, some, a couple of contexts. I didn't bring these verses because I'm not keen in on them specifically, but it's saying, go preach where someone's inhabited, which tells us we're not preaching the kingdom out in the forest to the squirrels. Right? right? So the message is for the inhabitants of the earth, places that have been inhabited where humans are to hear of the world we're going to talk about, which is the world that's in John 3, 17, and the world that is in this uh, John 1, 29, and a, a great number of places as well. This is the Greek word K-O-S-M-O-S, -O uh, or cosmos, and it's the word that means this. First definition now is an apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution, order, government. Now, when we think for God so loved the world, we think of humans. But that's not what John 3, 16 is limited to. I want to say it that way. Because does God, does God thinking about human beings? Yes, but not solely. The minute we reduce John 3, 16 to God so loves the world, what we do then is we think that God's only after humans. Do you know the, the Lord is actually after his own planet too? Because if he didn't give a rip about planet Earth, then it's true. When we die, we would go to heaven and planet Earth would cease to exist. But planet Earth doesn't cease to exist at all. In fact, there's a new Earth. Amen. So then what does it mean then, this arrangement or order? Um, a particular um, scholar said it this way, that um, originally this word was orderly arrangement, decor, adornment, beauty, symmetry, and the regularity of the world order. Have you ever heard this before? There's going to be a new world order. We hear that now. We always associate that with the Antichrist. But you understand the Antichrist is trying to have a world order that is contrary to God's spoken original intent on how everything was to function. For God, so we could, let's, let me go on and read this. It says this. It says later, focus came on the earth 
and the secular world, often the New Testament, the world describes a world system alienated from, from and opposed to God lying in the power of the evil one. So in essence, the best way for me to explain it to you, probably with a scripture so that you can kind of get a context here, um, would be found in uh, this verse here, John chapter 15, verse 19. He says, if you are of the world, the world will love its own. But because you're not of the world. But I chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you. What he's talking about are systems. How the world is governed. Jump over here to um, uh, Luke chapter 4 verse 5 and 7. Luke chapter 4 verse 5 and 7. It says 5 through 7 it says, And the devil led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain. That means um, um, this is territory by which I have authority and it functions under my rule. How I govern. And it's glory for it has been handed over to me and I can give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. So when we see here that the Bible tells us for God so loved the world... The, the, in context, it means for God so loved the way he spoke the world would be that unless the one who had, was the rightful heir to the earth in the first place gets it back, then its current status in judgment and the king of glory who created the heaven and earth by right of creation can condemn everything on the planet because the whole planet is cursed and the way it functions and operates its systems in essence all that God put together for the earth to produce is now being um, manipulated and used in a way that's in rebellion to God's designed order okay what's his designed order turn over to Genesis chapter 1 Genesis chapter 1. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Listen, uh, we'll just, let's just go there. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Let me pull up my Bible app here because I'm, I'm going off stuff that's just not on our, um, in our notes. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go back to verse 26. You understand the Lord will do his word. His word will not return unto him void, but it shall accomplish that which it was what? Sent to do. So whatever the Lord says, he's obligated to. So after he created the earth and does this, he goes to man. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them what? Rule or have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over uh, uh, the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creep on the earth. Meaning the way I designed life to function, he is to rule all functions. Let's go on. Verse 27. He goes on and then says this in verse 27. God created him in his own image in the image of God. Created him male and female. Created them. Now, look at verse 28 because verse 28 is function. Again, what's supposed to happen? Then God blessed them and God said, be what? Fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every creeping uh, living thing that moves on the earth. So who had the right to be fruitful? 
Who has the right to multiply? These are systems. These are things God has placed in order so that those systems would glorify him and be used for his glory. But you understand the way the devil took the dominion. Now he's taken these fruitful systems and he's perverted it so that it functions and gives him glory instead of God glory. So he's turned the systems of the world in rebellion and every system is teaching the world to stay in a course that will cause them to stay in judgment. So the business world teaches every business leader to hoard money for themselves, to, to, to prosper for themselves, to lust after that finance, to, to go after money and worship it and they destroy other people's lives. How can we have the resources of water and food and capacity in some nations but in other nations we don't have them at all because of the corruption that is in the business sector? What about the political realm? Man was never supposed to govern each other but when the devil got in power he gave us this thought that we could rule each other because we want to be on the seat like he was on the seat. And so we bring corruption into the government system. What about the education system? We can no longer hear from heaven, so he keeps perpetuating in a system ungodly principles where he wants to teach little three-year-olds that they may not be what God made you to be. And the Lord just didn't come back for you. He said, every one of those systems are going to glorify me. He came into the world so that any human expression should glorify him. God loved his way of the world's function so much that he sent his son. I am sick and tired. Because when the world wasn't functioning one way, he said, I, man, I regret I even made man. Because the way they're functioning right now, that is not how I intended it. So I'll judge these now. He judged them now. I'll flood the whole place. I'll flood it. But I'll keep this righteous family. Because I spoke in the garden when Adam handed that dominion over to another man, to another being that became the God or ruler of this world. And all of a sudden, everyone fell up underneath his rulership. And now they function in every system that I ever created in this world. Every cosmos, the way I arranged it, they function in such a way that is rebellion to me. Every one of them. Media's manipulated, entertainment's manipulated, education's manipulated. And the reason why the education system doesn't want the church to educate is because we'll bring it back into a right system. The reason why the business people don't want us to get in because we'll teach them how to give instead of how to hoard. I mean, it's a whole different way of living. In fact, Jesus turns the systems up, down, and he says, listen, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. I mean, the Gentile system's jacked up. Now, you understand this is why it's all about a system, because when he cuts covenant with a man named Abram and 
Genesis chapter 12, he says, Abram, leave your family, leave your relatives, and go to a place I'm going to show you because I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to create a nation out of you that the systems by which your nation operates, all the other nations of the world would be blessed by it, and if they rebel against your systems, I'll curse them. So Israel was supposed to be this uh, oasis of God's system of operating with him as he designed. He said, man, if you'll do what I say, you'll be blessed coming in and blessed going out. You'll be the head not the tail. You'll be above and not beneath. Your enemy will come before you one way and flee before you seven ways. Because the systems we have are so contrary to the things of the world. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 18, he said, my kingdom's not of this world. It does not function like yours. The systems involved in my, and that's why I came, is so that I can restore order to the world. Every system is going to get back into a right alignment. And here's the thing. It requires his man to be in the family to be able to do the system. Because who was given the function to have the systems glorify God? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. So when God so loved the world, he wasn't just thinking about human beings alone. He was thinking about the total design of when he spoke. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the creation of the heavens and the earth, he created an order. A, play, uh, a way that it would operate in symmetry so that it would function. And that's why even planet Earth is crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. This is why I totally understand when Bishop Baum was here and he says, this property that you purchased was saying, Anchor Faith, buy me. Please buy me. Because it wants the system that we function here. And let me tell you, that system's different because we are functioning to purchase them, that we purchase them all to be, bring uh, people in that are tenants, not so that I get a big paycheck and it pads the shareholders. They're, the shareholder is Anchor Faith Church. And so what it does, it gives us a resource so that we can push the gospel. And if we'll take the resource to push the gospel, then we'll continue to be blessed. And every time they sign a lease, they don't realize they could be a Laban. And I, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care what they are because I'm the Jacob in a relationship. I'm the one that's going to honor God. And I'm the one who's going to hear from heaven and know how to sow the seed and get it to the place that needs to be and transfer the wealth of the wicked to the righteous. Now, I'm not telling everybody that signs up are wicked people. I'm just saying. That the world doesn't have a corner market on the business side. I mean, we're separating every system of society away from our personal lives. Well, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it has nothing to do with my business. Well, your business is supposed to operate. Jesus redeemed you so the system of the business you're in could be redeemed. So the health care system that you're in would be redeemed. I mean, we're going to act one way on Sunday, but act like it doesn't affect the way we are in school. 
No, God saved you so that you could go into that sector of society and begin to show it something different. Because he ultimately is going to get this thing turned around. See, the sin of the world is the corrupt order placed in place by the devil. Satan altered the order or systems by which God ordained on earth through man, of which Jesus came to restore back to God the Father, God, to God the Father's original design. This is why Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 should make more sense to you right now, is because he says this. I told my man how to do it. Adam ate the fruit, fell from dominion, gave it to Satan, and as a result of that, he's corrupted the systems. He's corrupted it. The world's corrupt. Okay? But I'm going to bring my son, because I tried it through this experiment with a nation, uh, that covenant nation I made through Abraham, who beget, J Jacob, uh, beget Isaac. Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Jacob wrestled with the Lord, became Israel. Israel's in the earth still today as a nation. And if that nation would function under obeying God in every way, the law that Moses wrote had to do with how the culture of the community was to function in a world fallen. And if they functioned that way, they would be saved from the system that the world was in and God would demonstrate a different thing through them. But then they failed and kept failing because their hearts weren't right. So then Jesus comes. And when Jesus came, he came to restore it and give all the system back to the church. Which is all of us, the body of Christ. By which now we can go into any sector of society with a different culture. We respond different, act different because we're not of this world. So I don't act like you when bad news comes. I don't act like you when these situations take place because I'm governed under another system. One that's been redeemed, one that's the kingdom of God. So a child will be born or someone will be given and the government will rest on his shoulders, right? There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. What's he trying to do? Through us, show the kingdom culture of God in every sector of society because he's come to win them all. Come to win them all. The problem is too many believers are compromising their culture and, and they have no idea of how to function actually in that system in order to be able to really make effect in the other sectors of society. Because we want to do it the world's way. I mean, the church will bring in world leaders and business owners and... Um, um, Oh, um, motivational speakers. Because at the end of the day, the devil has a way in the world to prosper humanity. Why? To keep them in rebellion. Absolutely. And if they do not want to grow, he, he seg segregates, separates, divides societies. That's what he does. Why? Because he wants to keep you in a perpetual state of rebellion. Of which, by nature, humanity is. Because Adam lets go of how the world was to function, and then he himself 
loses his dominion status and it gets out of uh, right alignment with God, in essence, he dies. What's it say in Romans chapter 5, verse 12? Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. Notice it doesn't say sins. As John the Baptist said, here's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He came to deal with sin. Sin, simply put, is the nature and desire to rebel against God's word. He came to deal with that. And that is to rebel against God's way of doing anything in any capacity. See, families are perverted. I mean, the enemy now is saying that there's a new modern family. It ain't modern. This ain't modern stuff. The same kind of sexual activities that are happening today were happening long before. I mean, in the first book of the Bible, these relationships have been taking place. I mean, this ain't like something new. Like we've progressed to some kind of new love. I mean, we've not become this intelligent society. In fact, we're more dumbed down today than we've ever been. The world's been way more dumbed down today because of the absence of being around the word which is life. And in that arrogance and blindness and darkness, they're living a way that they think's right and they don't understand they're stuck under a tyrannical ruler. That Jesus says, you're already condemned. I've come to offer a way out. The world needs the king. Because if the king doesn't come, we are all justly condemned. All of us. Why is that? Look what it goes on and says. The same, you know, uh, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin, uh, sin entered into the world and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. So that means all of us got in the system with the devil. All of us chose to rebel against God's way of doing anything. We do it in our families. We do it at work. We do it with school. Every one of these systems. How many of you cheated when you were in school? Yeah? Because you have your daddy, the devil... Right? Weren't honest? Looking off your... Because you failed to study on your own? And that, that, that's in the system. God never designed that to be in your system. In his system's all wisdom. That if you'll stay with him and trust in him, then he'll cause you... And he did this in certain places. He took Daniel in a corrupt Babylonian system and he rebelled against that system and said, wait a minute now, I got a covenant with a God. I don't want to eat that stuff and so I would rather eat here. And the guy's like, look, bro, the king has this and I am not going to die for you being stubborn with the food. He said, listen, I get it. But at the end of the day, if I don't become scrawny after 10 days and look worse than the rest then let me continue to eat as I believe the God that I worship and the uh, culture I'm from. That's not of the culture you're bringing me into. Right? Right? Let's prove it out. Fine. He came back. He was healthier and stronger. 
So it's like, you just do what you do. At the end of graduation day, Daniel is 10 times smarter. Why are not more believers? Because they're still operating under the old system. They want to be personally saved, but they don't want to tap in how God saved us from every system so that we could tap into a wisdom and, be, and rise above everybody else that's stuck in a system that you only lie, cheat, do bare minimum. Because you have an inside person who will talk to you during test time and cause all things to come to your remembrance should you study that you can sit down at a test and be like, I got this. I mean, I was like that myself, man. I would sit down, put my pencil down. When the test time came, they said, you can take your test. I set my pencil down. I looked around at everybody in the room. I waited till everybody was writing. And once they got started, then I said, no, nah, I'll start. So I wouldn't let anxiety or anything, wouldn't let it do it because I had access. I had access to someone who was super gracious to me and would cause things to come up. 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 Because I could put myself to a study and then he was obligated to bring it back. See, we think the Holy Ghost, all he's going to bring back to you is a scripture. He'll bring back to you um, the, the Pythagorean theorem in a math class. He will bring back to you who is the 16th president of the United States of America. He will bring back to you how photosynthesis works. He'll do it. Because you're really not that smart. <laughs> but he is. I said he is. Come on now. So all have sinned, meaning all are already condemned. Romans 3, uh, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And no matter what we do in the world to try to attain to something, we still are filthy rags. Can't get there. Can't do it. Yet Jesus came to restore order. In Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is? Now, the wages of what? Sin. Again, this is singular. Although we can do many things that are against God's will and his way of doing things in any way or order of the world, we can do that. That's why we call them sins on our end. But the one sin is rebellion. That spirit of not wanting to do it God's way. He said, I'll deal with that. I'll deal with that. Because our nature, prior to being born of God, was only to never do what God wanted us to do. And no matter what he put in order, in and of itself could not save. Even those in the old covenant, it could not save them ultimately. It needed what Jesus did to be applied back to them. And thank God it was applied back. But they could position themselves within their world, that is their age their present time period that they were on the planet in such a way that when they died, they could be in Abraham's bosom or called paradise instead of in the grave or death where there was already torment associated with that existence. But once Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead on the third day, he took captivity captive. Hallelujah. And those that had died previous ages, but 
but did all that they could do to be in right standing with God based on what was made available to humanity and they were in paradise, Jesus took them out and now they are present with him in heaven. We don't have to go to a paradise anymore. Paradise doesn't exist. Paradise has been whipped, uh, busted wide open. Now, if you leave your body, you are present with the Lord, and he sits at the right hand of the Father in the heavens. Hallelujah. All right? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, a scholar in writing concerning this issue of order said this, because of John's writing in John chapter 18, verse 36, he said, my kingdom's not of this world, right? Um, a scholar said this, that near the end of the first century, when John was writing his gospels, Christians were often assailed with the accusations that their goals were not spiritual, but political. Because you need to understand, when John was on the planet, that's the apostle John, there was no thing as a president over a nation. There was no prime minister. There were kings, period. Now, with that being said, they all didn't use the same title king in this one sense. You understand, Egypt had a king. They called them pharaohs. Rome had a king, and they called him Caesar, right? But it's still king nonetheless. So you understand when the gospel that Jesus preached, Y'all know the gospel Jesus preached, right? It's the kingdom. The minute he says the kingdom of God is here, well, that means there's another king. In fact, the book of Acts lets us know that in the town of Ephesus, they got in such an uproar because of Paul's preaching because he said this guy comes and preaches a different king other than Caesar. So what they didn't understand is how the function of God's kingdom is in the earth today. And that it's not directly um, demolishing through a natural warfare kings that are on the earth, but is letting the world know only one kingdom's going to remain, and there's only going to be one king ultimately, and you're going to want to be in that kingdom. And until he comes, that is the king, because the king's coming. I said the king's coming. Because the king's coming, you're going to want to go ahead and get in his kingdom now. You want to be a citizen of his kingdom now. And that his kingdom systems can function in you now just like it functioned in Jesus when he was in the earth. But yet to those outside the world or those that are lost, all that means is you're a political party. Now that's kind of dangerous even in the U.S. right now. Because, you know, uh, if we communicate the truth of God's word right, we would be considered a political movement. And by all rights, we are. Because we are demanding a type of government that the USA cannot offer. Can't do it. And we're saying, I don't, we're going to vote in line with our kingdom interests. Because we're governed by somebody higher than our president. And the Supreme Court. Yeah. Now again, that'll get resistance. Why? Separation of church and state. But the state of the kingdom is the church. Yeah. 
And you can't separate that. But it goes on, and the scholar says this. The Roman Empire was being filled with new, reborn citizens of a heavenly kingdom, but their kingdom of God terminology could be misunderstood. Thus, get this now, John adopts the phrase eternal life. They understand, the apostle John was one of the last apostles. In fact, they tried to kill him like the other ones, and they couldn't. That's why he gets exiled to Patmos. I mean, boiled him in oil and didn't work. Didn't work. I mean, he had a nice, you know, oil cleansing bath. Right? I'm sure his complexion was really awesome at the end of it. Um, but it didn't work. So they're like, we can't kill the guy. We got it. Let's just get him on an island. Let's isolate him. Well, then he writes the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. So what the devil meant for bad, God just downloads a couple other dispensations. <laughs> and we get to read about it today. Thank you for putting John on a private island to vacation. <laughs> Glory to God. And the government paid for it. All right. Thus, John adopts the phrase eternal life as uh, much to show the new quality of life Jesus Christ has brought as to describe the quantity. The idea of eternal life describes a divine dimension of life available to mankind as well as a destined duration of everlasting endlessness the word eternal life occurs 15 times in john's writings the kingdom of god only six some have thought john's relatively infrequent use of the kingdom of god suggested this message application was confined uh only to the time oh my goodness to the time of jesus's ministry and the birth of the church age okay so, notwithstanding the fact that the birth of the church did introduce a new era in human history, the message of the gospel of the kingdom was not changed. For example, you can see this when you go through the book of Acts, that Paul in Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 28 said, you know how I went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom and things concerning Jesus. Paul the apostle who wrote over half of the New Testament did those things. So, with that being said... Listen to this possible translation. If it is absolutely true based upon political or government persecution, and we know that a, uh, I believe it was Nero was the king in Rome that rose up and began to crucify the Christians. Yeah. Well, you understand why that would take place. Because it would be a threat to his crown. I mean... The lifestyle they lived was in total opposition to the system the Roman government put in place. Now, they weren't running to uh, Caesar's throne and trying to overthrow him because they realized at the end of the day, you have to choose to be in this kingdom. We can't force it, can't make it. That's why the United States could not pass a law. They could, but it would be, it would be futile. If they pass the law and says the only person that we will acknowledge as God in our nation is Jesus Christ and all of us must confess him as Lord. Now, most believers today be like, woo, praise God. But the problem is you can't force man to accept Jesus. It, it can't happen. Jesus doesn't force you to accept him. He offers it. He offers it. Because when it's all said and done, those who want to be in the light are in the light. And those who want to be in darkness will be in darkness. 
in essence, when judgment comes, it isn't actually Jesus rendering judgment because it's how he wants it. He will render judgment because it's how they wanted it. Make no mistake about it. There will be no injustice at the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment. There'll be none. The Lord will say, this was my judgment for you to be in Christ. The blood was applied. Sin was dealt with. Rebellion was dealt with. The nature was taken care of so that if you would call on my name, I would take that nature out of you and put in you a new nature that would love to hear the voice of the Father and rule and reign again as the first Adam was intended to do so. But you chose to not call on my name. You chose to be judged. You chose the sentence. Wasn't my choice, but I will give you your choice. And I have the authority to give you that choice. And you can't change your mind there. I said you can't change your mind there. See, we, for some reason we happen to think, I don't know why it is, but we think that on that great day those people are going to want to change their mind. They're not going to want to change their mind even then. During the tribulation period, when God is pouring out his wrath and there's great opportunity to repent, they're going to get even more aggravated and mad at God and harden their heart even more. Even though they know God is trying to let them know, don't go this course away from me. So at the end of the day, they're going to take it. Now, it's going to be rough. And it's eternal. But that's what they wanted. Okay. Got pretty quiet, but that's all right. So, the wages of sin is death. So Jesus came. The world needs the king because sin can only be dealt with by the king himself. A man with dominion lost dominion. A man with dominion can take dominion back. That's why Jesus has to come as a man because dominion was given to the man in the first place in the realm of the earth. The earth is already judged and all of us are rightly condemned and we need the king. In John, 1 John 3, 8, it says this, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. Aren't you glad he did? Yes. Colossians 1.13 says it this way. In the Passion Translation, he has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. He came back when it says, for God so loved the world. He said, God loved the order and the arrangement he originally created the earth to be. That I'm going to send my son to restore it all. Every bit of it. And I will have the education system. I will have the business sector. I will have the government sector. I will have the entertainment and art sector. I'll have the family sector. I'll have the worship of God. I'll have it all. There is a way I put it in play. 
in all areas, the whole world is going to function in a way that I originally designed it, and I will have a man that's going to do that. And aren't you glad you're going to be one of those? Yeah. Because for those who don't, the Bible is very clear here in Revelation chapter 20. We'll start in verse 10. This is after the millennial reign of Christ. He'll loose the devil one more time who will deceive the nations, come against God and his saints in Jerusalem. But it will be of no avail, for out of heaven fire will fall and destroy them all. And it says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire of brimstone where the beast and the false prophets were. The beast is actually nations that were against God's nation. Okay? They'll be, they're already there and they will be tormented day and night forever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne. Thrones are in kingdoms, not religions. And the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged. Now notice they're already judged. So in essence, he's just bringing information that's already, that they've already put there. They were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the dead and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they will have the order, the arrangement, the world back to how he originally spoke it into existence. And any unrighteousness will not be there. Will not be there. So as believers, we've got to think beyond just individuals. We have to begin to realize that the king came because the world needed us or the world needed him because we were all in rebellion and everything we ever did on the earth was self-seeking for self-preservation. And we've got to change in every system that we're in to align with the kingdom because he saved us to be able to think, hear, and follow his spirit so that in every one of those we can begin to demonstrate a kingdom way of living. So that when people look at it and say, how is it that everything you touch seems to prosper? Well, that's just part of our system. It's the kingdom. How come... Every time flu season comes around, you don't get it. And if you do, no one knows. How come when you get it, you get healed faster than everybody else? How come every time you pray about something, an answer happens? How could you do that in our county when other people tried to have that business in our county and couldn't get it. Why is your family like this and my kids are like they are? But we want to sell 
For God so loved the world that he sent his son to save you. So when you die, you can go to heaven. And you're just stuck in some systems down here. No, you're not. He's given you a different world to live in. A world that you can create with your mouth. A world that you can create with your mouth. The same way the Father created ours. And God said, and you can begin to say, it'll be this way in business. It'll be this way in my home. It'll be this way. You know, it'll be this way. It'll be this way. And you begin to hear the voice of God, speak the word of God. And all of a sudden, your world, the arrangement, the order. Every system that you can affect will be transformed and reflect the kingdom of God. So we close with this one here. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Where? From the foundation of the world. So there was a world God had in mind in the beginning. And that's the world he's going to save. That's the world that Jesus came to save because that's the world the Father loves. The Father loves righteousness. He loves that all things would glorify Him because He is love. He is life. And He wants everything back in order and not in disorder and in chaos. And he loves the world so much. He loves his design because it's perfect without fail, without spot, without wrinkle. It allows every one of his created beings to thrive within the environment by which they were designed to function. And he sent his son Jesus so that it could get back in that order. And all who call on his name can get in that kingdom, can start to operate in that system, can begin to see it come to pass in our lives. Because the way the world's functioning right now was never how the Father intended it. You say, well, Pastor Earl, the world's going to get worse. The Bible says the systems of the world will. But you don't have to live in it. You can be in a world you're not of. You can be in planet earth, but not part of the system that the God of this world is operating. You can be in a totally different one and be delivered from every trial and tribulation. Because God didn't just save you for heaven. He saved the world. He saved the world. This is why he doesn't leave you as an orphan. Because you don't have to depend on the devil's business schemes to get ahead. You don't have to compromise your character to be effective in a world gone to hell. You can function in God's system contrary to how the whole world does it. And prosper and rise above it. Because daddy didn't leave you as an orphan. Yeah, the world system says your kids can't get ahead unless they go to college. Well, what college should they go to? Who has a right to sign the degree as president of the university? What do they even know? And we won't even question it. And 
and hundreds, millions, excuse me, millions of teenagers, 18-year-olds, are running to colleges and universities that their first thing they're faced with is professors challenging their God and getting them to abandon it because we're not training that the systems don't belong to them. Well, honey, you got to get a good education. Well, who's educating them? We're at like the church's education is the dumbest thing around. Like learning anything from church doesn't aspire to those that have gotten a Nobel Peace Prize. Well, I'm glad your Nobel Peace Prize is going to burn with you in the lake of fire. And you'll find there's no peace and it wasn't very noble. The only thing that has lasting peace is the Prince of Peace. We have, we're duping ourselves. And we're living a substandard existence on the planet, but the kingdom's on the rise. I just want you to know. I said the kingdom's on the rise. Jesus is coming back for the church. He's coming back for a holy nation. He's coming back for a people who say, I ain't going to do it the world's way anymore. I'm abandoning that stuff. I'm telling you, there's some teachers. You do need to quit the school system. And you need to get plugged in with a church that actually has a, 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 a school that you can submit to the church and then to the school so that you can actually raise up a generation in true wisdom and not just facts. Because their intellectual facts are not going to change their world that God saved them out of. Some of the biggest um, or wealthiest people aren't even doing, even if they have a degree aren't even functioning within the degree of study they had in the first place. But because we're stuck in the cosmos, the systems of the world, we think we have our church side and we can't touch anything else. When the Lord says, I've come back for it all. I've saved every system. And my child can rule and reign in them all. I'm blown away that we do not have more believers putting in their name to get on county commissioner seats and, and as mayors. We should rule the political realm. We should rule it. Because one day in the millennial reign, we will rule it. Just to let you know, it's just a precursor to the millennial reign that we will actually rule in the millennial reign in the political realm. And they won't vote us in. The king will put us in place. Yeah. I was sitting at a meeting that was affecting my house. And, you know, I had the county commission or the city commissioners there, the mayor, things they want to do on their particular property that can affect where I'm at. And I'm listening. I'll be honest with you. I was like, man, you know, hmm. my first thought was I am not equipped right now. They're talking infrastructure. They're talking EPA. They're talking all kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, we should know this stuff. We should have some people that are full of wisdom that know how to navigate these things better. So I'm asking, Lord, I mean, sometimes I'm like, man, I just, let me just get on the county commission, man. But I mean, that's another layer of study. 
And I only say that just because I know the church should be in it. I'm not going to be on it. Somebody in this room needs to get on it. Needs to rise up. Well, I got to get voted. Let God get you in. What's the problem? And what if you run and you don't get it the first time? Run again. Didn't stop Abraham Lincoln. Run again. Get with the Lord. Come up with a way and understand how you can really help and blow their minds. We need people on the school board. Well, you know, I don't know a whole lot about education. You know more about education than the world knows about education. If you acquit seeing yourself as inferior, we actually are part of a system that's, that is superior by design because of God. We're just not even tapping into it. And listen, the world needs you to rise up and take these places. Jesus will come back whether we're in it or not, just to let you know. It's not necessary for his return. But I think he will be highly disappointed we are not taking more seats in the sector of societies because we're just waiting to go to heaven. And that's not the world he loved, which is just us by ourselves. It was the whole way the planet functions. And even the earth is saying, please, please take your seat of dominion so that I can be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth as I'm supposed to. Because it can only happen through the son and daughter of God. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchorfaith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. Thank you.